Before we get started on today's show, I want to tell you about the Colorado Hawks, a nonprofit organization helping athletes all over Colorado achieve their dreams of playing sports at the next level and earning college scholarships. The Hawks produce high-level athletes in boys' and girls' basketball and soccer, and most importantly, this is an affordable program that has never turned an athlete away due to cost. The Colorado Hawks program prides itself on keeping kids off of the streets and helping underprivileged youth earn opportunities they might not get otherwise. And this year, the Hawks organization will celebrate its 25th anniversary and we've teamed up with them to raise awareness for this great organization and to sell this incredible shirt Jokic4MVP.com. You go there, you buy one of these shirts. It says Jokic4MVP. It's a really nice shirt, very comfortable. Um, the type of shirt you, you hang around the house in, you can go out in, uh, work out in, anything like that. It's super comfortable, similar to the ones we use at DNVR. Jokic4MVP.com. You buy a shirt. 100% of the proceeds go to this organization and allow somebody to play you know, AAU sports this summer and maybe open up the door for them to earn a college scholarship. Check it out. What is up, everybody, and welcome into the DNVR Nuggets podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Download the app now. Use promo code DNVR when you do. Joined by a very special guest today, one of the OGs in the Denver blogosphere, now writing for Forbes.com, Joel Rush. Joel, thanks for joining me, man. Thank you. Happy to be here. So I, I want to start it off like this. People listening to this show, it's mixed. There's some people that are OGs. They've been around through a, several different eras. But maybe not everybody kind of understands, you know, that you have been here longer even than myself covering the Nuggets and doing the blog thing. When did you first get, when did you first start? When did you write your first Denver Nuggets article? I was basically just posting messages on Pro Sports Daily, which was, I, I think it may have declined in stature since then, but at the time it was one of the big message boards and uh yeah. I was basically just writing these long posts and then realized that they were basically blog entries anyway. So I started right. like writing my own blog. And then it was Jeremy Wagner from Pickaxe and Roll, the uh, not uh, Ryan's new podcast, but the right. original <laughs> right. kind of right. blog there. Um, and uh, he, you know, tapped me to join that site and then things kind of unfolded from there. So I, I wanted to open with this because people, you know, one, there's not very many good things that I think have come out of the pandemic. There's some little things, but it's been largely, largely rough. One good thing, and one of the best things I would say that has come out of this is that people like you, you live in Japan, you haven't been back to Colorado for a long time, at least for a, a Nuggets you know, type thing. People like you have gotten to be in on the scrums. That barrier has been lifted, and now you are a regular in practice media availability, game media availability, this or that, and... I just think that's really cool because you're one of the guys, one of the few people that have put in that much passion and time and energy and breath and late nights and early mornings and everything else <laughs> into doing. And it's kind of neat that you get the reward of being a part of, of the scrums. And it kind of, I was sitting there thinking about this at three o'clock in the morning last night, I think around the time when I wrote you last night saying, Hey man, let's get on, let's get on. And this is what inspired it was. Michael Malone busted your balls last night and, and, and he, you know, he kind of made a joke at you in, in a way that only Michael Malone can. And I, I was sitting there when I was listening to that late at night, kind of going through and, and getting all the notes. And I just thought, how cool is this, that this part of Malone that we all get to see and this part of just the Nuggets experience that we all get to see, you get to see it this time. I mean, how neat has it been for you, honestly, to be able to be a part of these scrums and, and just kind of see behind how all of these things work? It's been amazing. It's been incredible. And I feel really fortunate that I have, you know, been able to 
Actually, the first thing that I was able to access as a NBA media member was when they had the preseason games here, the season before this one. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess about a year and a half ago uh, in Tokyo, there were two Raptors and Rockets games. So I was right there in front of James Harden, you know, like taking video of him, like practicing his uh, one-footed uh, three-pointers. His sambor. You know, that was incredibly exciting for me. That was my kind of first big opportunity. And then, like you said, I hate to even say anything positive about the pandemic because it's been so horrific. Um, But it, you know, objectively speaking, it has opened up the opportunity for people like me. And, you know, we have the possibility of accessing these uh, media availabilities and a way that we never had before. So it's really exciting. And uh, I was, you know, I I felt lucky that Malone... uh, kind of went after me because uh, <laughs> like I had a moment, you know, and, uh, yeah, yeah. and also it's like so hard to kind of break through that media barrier and moments like right, that kind of right. humanize it and make it more personal. And uh, I think especially not being in the Pepsi center or ball arena, excuse me. Um, it, it adds that extra layer of distance that is right. hard, even hard, that much harder to penetrate kind of. So, uh, you know, I, and uh, Jamal Murray gave me a little moment too. <laughs> you know, I've had a few of those little things, but what did he say? I, well, that was during the Black Lives Matter protests, and he had a shirt that said, "Do you understand?" Mm-hmm. And I asked him, um, "Could you please uh, just explain what your your shirt means, basically?" And he said, "Well, do you understand?" <laughs> yeah, and I was like. Um, I was hoping you might explain and help us understand, you know, but like right. he, uh, he, you know, and actually to um, both Malone's and Murray's credit, I'm not even sure if I should say this, but they actually both kind of reached out to me later and said, you know, wanted yeah. to make sure things were cool, which of course, you know, I, like I said, I was happy to have these experiences because, um, right. you know, they're, they're learning experiences for me. Like I have so much appreciation for you know, the first one I'm going to say is Chris Marlowe. Um, sure. And I'll add Mike Singer too. But like the ability to ask good questions in these media scrums yeah. is like a real skill. And right. yep. I kind of suck at it. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm a real rookie in that level. And I, you know, quickly realized that. And so these mistakes are, or, you know, these moments are kind of like learning opportunities for me. And it's nice. Be able, I don't think people appreciate the difficulty of being in those moments because there are certain things that, a lot of people are like, why don't you ask Malone why he doesn't play this or that? And it's like, you get, first of all, like you can't ask, a, but you just can't ask a, uh, somebody something like that. One, they won't give you an answer Two, like you can't, you're, you're asking from a position of like, I know, but you didn't do this thing or that thing. Like there's, there's tact to all of it. And then more important than the tact of like, what's respectful is what actually gets the, what is, what can you ask that's actually going to provide the most information? And it's not always the direct question. It's not always the, why did you go with this guy over that guy? It's the best reporters, the best journalists, I think ask questions that have a way of revealing the answer without actually asking the question. And it's a real art form. It, it really does take, I think, an enormous amount of, of, of skill and tact. Yeah, and I have all the respect in the world for the people who are really great at it. And there really are some, you know, people yeah. who have really refined that skill and, you know, really know how to elicit the, you know, more meaningful responses from the players and coaches. You mentioned, though, the Zoom and how it, it you know, for as great as it is to allow access for some of the people like you that have been in Japan and not able to, you know, been covering this team faithfully for so long, but but from abroad, 
it is extra and personal. And I think the relationship between media and athlete is already just incredibly impersonal. Like there's already so much distance and so much training for these guys and every, it's just so many ever. And then people inside the locker room sometimes that are out to get the athletes. And there's just, it's such a, a minefield. And then you add this extra layer of zoom that is so impersonal. And I saw a video during the bubble of Paul Millsap. I think he put it on his Instagram where you saw his perspective of these and it was him standing in front of a blank TV. And he's like, yeah, this isn't awkward at all. And you just think like, how weird is it? That these guys have to sit in front of a camera not really see who they're talking to and just field these anonymous questions that they know are being blasted to everyone. So it's, I, I think that this going on now for a year, it's really changed. And, and I'm curious to see what it's like afterwards, but it's really even created more distance, I think, between coaches and media, players and media, and in, in a way that I, I, I do worry about at least a little bit. What do you think? Well, I just have to trust your your perspective on that because, like you, you have seen both sides. Like I've never been inside the arena and in that environment, yeah. so I don't have the you know personal experience to contrast those situations. Um, but it's I just would the say, impersonal you know, like, nature of it. You know, I, I would say that I can tell just like the you know the way that Malone kind of says like, let me guess, the first questions from Mike. You know, right, like, right, right, right. They definitely have a clear rapport. You know, right. they've obviously been hanging out and having conversations in the hallways. And, you know, I, I know that that's true of you and Harrison and all the guys in the Pepsi Center. Uh, so, like, but Mike is the that. Mike is the one that has to do the I most on program. ball arena, ball arena. Um, yeah, yeah. But, you, you know, like, so I, I definitely can feel I'm missing that aspect of it. And that I, you know, if I only continue on Zoom, then I will probably never be able to like really experience that aspect of it. So I, I, I can see yeah. where you're coming from there. What do you think of Malone's? Um, Cause Malone, I think is excellent at media. I mean, he has, he, he's funny because he's such an old soul. He's not that old, but you know, his references. We're about the same age to tell you the truth. I think we are within like less than one year of age. Of each yeah. other, I think. And I, you probably don't reference Keystone cops and, and you know, some of the other, some of the, what is, what was the one, the investment when Jokic speaks, people listen. I can't even remember what oh. the reference <laughs> yeah, was. He, he's got a lot of kind of eighties stuff. Even before uh, that though, I mean, Keystone oh, yeah, cops is like he, 1920s. That's what, and that's what I mean is he's got this like old soul to him. Uh, I wonder also, how much of that he picked up from his dad. A ton. And, Kind of seems like those expressions, those sayings totally. are like direct hand-me-downs from Pops. Oh, 100%. They absolutely are. And and it's funny. But he's also just such a sharp wit. And that's why it's funny. He's He, he called it busting your balls yesterday. He's a 100%. He's a ball buster. You know, like he just, he loves to like, when, especially when he's feeling good and he's feeling good after that win. He loves to just do that. So I, I just but thought it was At cool. the same time, I would say like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. But I would just say at the same time, he's so accessible. Like, yep. Even when I know he's angry and even when I know he's fuming after a loss, like I don't, there's, there's some players who I'm like, I'm kind of afraid to ask a question right now because I'm not sure what's going to happen. But with Malone, like I never feel like he will be put off even in his like worst moods by any question that comes in. I feel he's very accessible in that level. I have heard some pretty bad questions over the years asked. I'm sure I've asked a few really bad questions. I mean, all of us, all of us yeah, have I, our I dumb have. moments. Um, but I do remember, I can't remember what it was. Nuggets blown out one game. And I remember one reporter in particular asking something about like, what did you like about that game or something? And he kind of looks at him just like, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> Read the room, man. Um, so it's, it, it's funny. Um, do you feel like in doing this and being, cause you're, I mean, you're on pretty much every, every single media availability. Do you feel like now several months into this, 
that you have a different perspective on the players and who they are than maybe what you had before? Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, the type of question that you described before, like, why don't you ask Michael Malone to explain why he's not playing Michael Porter Jr. Right, right, right. Like, it's so easy to say that on Twitter, but right. like if you're actually speaking face-to-face -to, -face to a human being and considering that they have feelings about this and they have pride and they have a stake in their job and like, it's so easy to make like in, an insinuation with a question right. that you didn't even mean to insinuate, but they can take it as a criticism. And, you know. Totally. Just, just from a tactical point of view, like that's not gonna be the best way to elicit a good response. You know, by putting them off from the get-go. So, like, in order to ask about difficult things, like, why are you struggling with a thing or something like that? Like, the way of framing it is, you know, you have to be so much more sensitive to them as people than I think most fans realize. And uh, and and that's good. You know, like, we, we should be looking at athletes as people. Um, but just the players, like, are there any, you know, has your perspective changed on any specific one having interacted with them as much as you have now? Or just got in ways yeah. I'm not saying like big, like now I hate this guy. I'm just saying like, oh, I didn't realize this about this person. And I, the, the first person that comes to mind would be Michael Porter, because mm. I think I want to frame this. <laughs> I want to say this in the right way because I don't want to put my foot in my mouth. But there's a perception of Michael Porter that he struggles with, you know, learning concepts and, right. you know, like the mental aspect of the game might be where he's lagging the most. But I do think he's actually a lot more introspective and thoughtful and reflective on his own totally. game than he gets credit for. And, you know, by participating in these things, I think I've learned that about him much more yeah. than I might have if I, you know, if I saw like one in four of the uh, interviews that he does or something like that, like he's right. actually thinking a lot about his game and he's, you know, very conscious of his shortcomings. And I think he's, you know, much more self-aware than a lot of people realize the thing now me doing this for seven years in a way that i'm actually am in front of these guys and really for the entirety of the yoka chair is you just realize how much these guys uh, it's easy to say like oh he's a young guy like bowl bowl he's a 20 year old or 21 or whatever and like oh you know this or that but when you see them go from 21 22 23 24 25 then it really hits you of just like yeah man like they're growing people like one year is a huge difference for michael Poor. he will be a sign i think a significantly more mature and in many ways, wise person one year from now, imagine what he'll be five or six years from now. And I think everybody's aware of, of that with these guys, but I think watching Jokic and seeing what he went from this goofy sort of, you know, goofball and, and to where he is at now. And even Jamal Murray, I always tell the story about his rookie season. He would throw pieces of candy at Michael Malone during his media scrums. And because <laughs> he thought it was so funny and like, you know, Malone, I think, just had this great patience to understand, like, hey, this is a kid. Like, I can't yell at him for everything. Like, just this is one thing I'll just have to allow to happen. But these guys really. It almost sounds hard. like a uh, one of those YouTube videos of like a kitten pestering a dog or something. Oh, totally. The dog is just kind of sitting there taking it. It was totally like, one of those situations with Malone where you could tell Malone did not find it funny and that Jamal didn't read, like, read that Malone no, didn't find it funny because he not just appreciate a having things thrown at it. Yeah. No. Well, it was always like while he was talking to the media and he'd be like, oh, all right. <laughs> wow. And I don't think Murray meant anything bad by it. He's just a kid. You know, he's comes yeah. from college. He was. You oh, know, God. To think that these guys are like 19, 20 years old and yeah. how reckless and irresponsible and. Yeah. you know what a screw up i was at that age like 
it's amazing that they are putting together professional sports careers and like then all the fans are raising the bar even higher of like they should be more mature <laughs> they right, you know right. should do this or should do that like i didn't i didn't do i didn't accomplish anything close to what they're doing so yeah and then draymond's on a great kick right now i love draymond green he's one of my favorite just like players but uh, as a player i absolutely love him as as like a personality and just somebody in, in the way he approaches media the way he approaches analysis all of that stuff i think is so great and one thing he talks about and i think i'm hyper aware of even though i make mistakes is that there's more we don't know even about the game of basketball than what we do and like even the players i think are this way like there's a lot of players that don't think the game on that complex level they get information but a guy like draymond who's a true you know basketball genius you know he's always like your guys's analysis is like skin deep you don't know it you think you're being brilliant but you actually don't know all the layers that go into this and i'm always hyper sort of since the more i get into this the less confident i feel sometimes in my takes not that i think i'm wrong just that i have like one piece of an enormous puzzle and that's what i'm kind of looking at and i i think that's another thing fans maybe you know <laughs> fans and even analysts don't don't fully appreciate but the more you do this the more you do appreciate it um i want to ask you about the personality of the team this season as we kind of get into the season what's going on with the nuggets what do you think is the personality of this team um and how does it maybe differ from last year well, I was alluding to this on Twitter recently where um, I can't remember in what specific context, but basically I was saying like, I feel like the essence, you know, the sum of the parts of Mason Plumley and Jeremy Grant and Tory Craig was greater than any right. individual. Play. So like neither of those, I mean, now Jeremy Grant is making a case that he is so like, right. At, but given our understanding of those players during last season, um, none of them was extremely remarkable in any way, but collectively they kind of built that, you know, steel spined back against the wall, fight scrappy ethos, you know, and mm -hmm. I think losing one or even two of them would have been okay, but losing all three kind of really pulled the rug out from that aspect of the Nuggets character, you know, like that seven game, I mean, that seven player win over Utah, like this team, this season in December could not have beat, that Utah Jazz team with only seven players. Oh, sure. Yeah. Like, they lost some of that. I, I think they're rediscovering it. Like, I think Faku has some of that. And, you know, I think, you know, Jermichael Green has some of that. And they're, like, kind of figuring out how to patch it back together in a new way. And, you know, the Milwaukee win, that's exhibit A um, right yeah. there. So, uh, you know, I, I think they're finding their footing better now. But it's just been so chaotic with all of the injuries and Porter's uh, coronavirus absence. And, you know, how do you even get on the same page when there's like this constant ro rotation of guys going out? Um, right. You know, and I, I, that's something actually I asked uh, Will Barton about, like, how hard is it to, you know, get on the same page when, you know, it seems like basically every time you get one guy back, you lose two more guys. Yeah. And it's interesting because I think even Will Barton has has been a little bit. I don't. I'm not. It's the opposite of tough is soft, and I don't think he's been soft. But I think he's been mentally tougher in years past. I think he is dealing with new challenges in his career that he hasn't before, and he's figuring out how to handle them. Like, meaning it's a process that he has not completed yet. Whereas last year, there were it was more challenges that he was familiar with and was prepared to tackle. Do you feel that way with him as well? Well, you know him much better than I do. You did that fantastic uh, podcast series on him. And, uh, you know, you've mm. done 
a lot of uh, in-depth work with him directly, which I have not. Um, but I do think he seems very unsettled these days. Like, yeah, he doesn't seem he seems discontent on some level. And I'm not, you know, trying to attribute that to any specific reason because I have no idea. Right, um, and I'm sure it's a very complex thing and he probably is content in some ways and not in others, but, um, you know, just based on the tone though, like he seems just kind of down and, uh, you know, I think it's great that he's getting a few good games together right now. And I would imagine like if he can put a string, you know, like one more good one against Indiana and then pick it up again after the all-star break, like, maybe he'll start getting that confidence back a little and like that will lift his spirits too, but just kind of seems in a mental funk right now that, um, you know, and I, I don't want to project anything that's not happening onto him. So if I'm just what it seems, that, yeah, this is, this is, of course, this is just your, your perspective on it. Um, you know, I, I think certainly the injuries, you know, it sounds like maybe he's had a, a little bit of a tumultuous personal life over the last, we, we know a family member passed away. So, you know, I, I think it's a lot of those things, but most, mostly it's injury. I mean, anytime you go through an injury that basically lasts a year, it was more than a year ago that he first went down. So anytime you deal with that, I'm sure you're confronted with a little bit of your own, you know, professional life mortality, you know, the idea of like, Hey, maybe I don't get better. Maybe there's the thing I took for granted that doesn't, I don't think that's the case with him, but who knows, but it definitely seems like it is weighed on him, not just physically, but also mentally. And, but I am encouraged by sort of his most recent pressers because it looks like he is, he is looking the problem straight in the eye, which is often like the, the second to last step before tackling it. So um, I, there was an interesting quote when we talk about the personality of the team that Murray had when he was struggling this year, he was asked about the resilient team. And he said, I'm kind of tired of being the resilient team. Like, I don't, I want to be the team that punches first. And I thought that this is interesting on two levels because I understand, and we all understand conceptually what he means. Like you want to be the team that like is punching and not the team that's always coming back. And I, obviously there's something to that, but I also wonder if part of the lesson he has had to learn this year was that there's no such thing as not having to be the resilient team the 2016 warriors had to be the resilient team, even though they were dominating everybody. There was, there's the challenges in life just never stop. And the challenges in basketball never stop. There's never going to be this point where it's like, Hey, we're the good team. Now it's like every day you have to work yeah. at it. And I wonder if that's part of the realization that he personally is coming to this year. And it, it's not lost on me that both that comment came before he sort of started playing great, but also the comment of, you know, um, right before the turn happened and he started playing well, he, he admitted he hadn't been playing well. There was the little excuses popping up left and right. A little like, uh, you know, my elbow and oh, I can't work out and I can't do this or that. And I feel like he, there was a point where he's just like, throw that all out. Yeah, I remember that interview. Yeah. And then, but since then it was almost immediately after that is when this change has happened. And I just wonder if, if he's learning that, Hey, we have to be the resilient team, no matter what we do. I would imagine that was kind of an alignment of several factors. Like, one, maybe just getting his body right. Yeah. One, maybe just kind of recovering from early season fatigue after such a shortened off season. Like if I were Jamal Murray in the end of December, starting again after such a short break, I might be like, yeah, I'm not going to, you know, I might take a possession off here or there. Like, right, right. Let, let these other guys kind of, you know, we got a lot of new guys, let them, you know, pick up some slack. Uh, right. And I, I feel like, you know, that first initial difficult wave of the season has passed. And now it's like 
settling into a groove. And that includes the mentality and the physical aspect and all of it, I think. It's like what marathon runners say. They're always, you know, the first mile's the toughest. And then you get it by about mile three or four, you just get into this groove where every day all run together and you're just kind of, you know, you're in a mental zone. And I wonder if, you know, the first mile of the season was the toughest for Murray and for the Nuggets in particular. And maybe now there's, you know, you're, you're in the puzzle, uh, the puzzle pieces are coming together and now you're actually solving problems, not just trudging through and trying to survive. Yeah. And I'll say the most encouraging thing about it is the consistency lately. Like, you know, I would rather see Murray average 21 points a game and have that waiver between like 18 and 23. Right. Than to see him average 25 points a game and to have that swinging back between 35 and 12, like uh, that, you know, baseline consistency from him is everything for, you know, optimizing what, you know, three weeks ago, the conversation was like, we are wasting this golden season by Nikola Jokic, you know, that he's not getting enough support. Like that's the support he needs first and foremost, is that consistent Jamal Murray to like really be there as the number two guy. So uh, there's something to be said for his consistent point per game, but I actually, and I know you didn't mean this, but I'm just going to kind of put this out there. Jokic the other day had 37 points and in large part he had that because of a decision that Milwaukee made and same goes for Chicago you know decision Chicago made and it's like okay well I'm gonna do this and I think with Murray he's very good about this and this is I praised him on the last night's DNVR show about it's not often he had it going too and it's not often that a player has it going is able and willing to say oh our other guy has it going even more I'll step back and I think that's it. So Murray might have games with 16 points and then a next night 40, but I think it has more to do with his willingness and ability to say like, Oh, they're playing us this way. It's my, I need to go. They're playing us this other way. Okay. He needs to go or whatever. And so I do think his points might waver, but his level of play hasn't over the last, I don't know, 11. It's a, it's the longest streak of his career where I feel like he's had nothing but good games in a row. Yeah. And the points are only symptomatic of, right. You know, the real, quality of consistent play and if he chooses to you know let Jokic take over and he gets 16 points versus if he just like kind of shoots like crap and chucks a lot and gets a 16 <laughs> points those are different 16 point games you know right totally uh, let's uh let's take a quick break here on the other side okay. we'll get into Michael Porter who I think is you know obviously the center of everything that's going on and get Joel's perspective on that but first I want to tell you about the official beer partner of DNVR you guys know it Breckenridge Brewery Colorado's own Seltzies, or as I call them, boozies. Breck is finally introducing their seltzer line, and it comes in a beautiful Jokic 15-pack. They've got apple, pear, cherry, peach, berry, and honeydew. Uh, so you can head to the Breck Beer Locator. Just Google Breck Beer Locator, put in your zip code, and they will show you where in the city that you, wherever you are, all across America, it'll tell you where they have those located. You can pick up and try. I think they're fantastic. I think boozies, I like boozies better than beer. I don't know what the, that says about me, but they're easier to drink, easier, easier on my body. But if you are a beer person, they've also got some great ones. Avalanche, Amber, Strawberry Sky, Vanilla Porter Juniors. You guys know the whole thing. And then, of course, the Mile High City Copper Lager, the Denver Nuggets beer. You want to check them out. Don't forget, the official beer partner of DNVR, Breckenridge Brewery. And also want to tell you about MSU Denver Online. Time and time again, the one thing that will protect you against economic downturn is an education that allows you to adapt into varying careers. So go build your toolbox at msudenver.com. Whether you're looking to further continue an education, start over, do night classes, online classes, whatever it is, MSU Denver Online has you covered. They have super engaged teachers that are extremely responsive to emails, questions, concerns. Many of the teachers work 
in the same field that you're taking a class in. So it's a great opportunity to network. Um, court, the course content is highly relevant at MSU Denver Online. You learn about things that you can use outside of the classroom. So check them out, MSU Denver Online. If you're even thinking about going back to school, switching careers or any of that, consider MSU Denver Online. Back here on the DNBR Nuggets podcast with Joel Rush of Forbes. And let's talk about Michael Porter now, who I think is, we mentioned him a little bit earlier and, and how he's more thoughtful and reflective on where he's at. What do you, have you enjoyed the roller coaster ride that has been Michael Porter over a year and a half now? Absolutely. I mean, he's, uh, actually, I was listening to your show, um, the Winner's Lounge, and uh, the excitement meter. Is that right? The yeah, the excitometer. Okay. The excitometer. And, uh, you know, he, I, I would have to go with Harrison. I would have to give him my vote as the most exciting Nuggets player this season so far, just because like, yeah, you know, he has his off nights, but when he's on, man, like just those yeah, Mike moments, it's pretty unreal. And it's, uh, it, you know, it, part of the excitement is just thinking about what he could become. Yeah. I mean, they, they really have a legit big three on their hands if he delivers even on like 70% of his upside, I think. Jamal Murray works so hard for his points. Like sometimes he'll get bucket and they're incredible because nothing but net, but it's a quadruple, you know, step back, step forward, spin, half spin. And then he drains a shot and you just go like, man, nobody can stop this guy because of how he can do the hard thing. And Michael Porter is kind of the opposite. Like sometimes he just shoots the ball over a great defender and it goes in and you're kind of like, man, that was easy. <laughs> he just, he's too tall. He's the shot is too perfect. And it, it is, it really does make for the points feel. I, I feel like Michael Porter Jr.'s points feel like more. They're all get like this, like 0.5 addition of value because of, I don't know what it is about him. It just feels like an extra point. You listen to opposing announcers. Like mm. they feel yeah. it when, whenever yeah. he drains a three, they're like, Oh, uh, <laughs> you know, it stings when he drains one. Cause like some, somehow he, he tends to, I think this was Paul Millsap last season, but he just tends to make them at big moments when they happen mm, to go in yeah. and uh, you know, they're loud. Like Monte Morris, his, his three point shooting is very quiet. Somehow. I feel like, um, yeah. like always even, at 40. You know, when he's making them at a good clip, just it kind of flies under the radar, but yeah, porters are so loud. Yeah, for sure. I, my favorite was back in like 2017 when I would watch these Nuggets games and I would always listen to the away broadcast because it was like they were discovering Jokic for the first time. You know, his rookie season and his sophomore run, they'd be like, man, that big man can pass the ball. Wow, that was a heck of a pass. You could tell they wouldn't even know his name or they'd be looking him up and they'd be like, well, that was a that was a heck of a play. And it happened for an entire year where I just would get such a kick out of it. I almost made a super cut of it. Um, with, with Michael Porter, though, what would you say, where are we at? If you could sort of like give the shorthand, the, the cliff notes of the season with him, where do you think we are in a process? Are we on an uptick? You know, how, how have the ebbs and flows happened in your perspective? Definitely on an uptick and definitely right where he should be. I mean, mm. I, I haven't recently checked again on his total number of regular season games, but I think he's right around like completing – if, if we called the first 82 games of a player their first regular season, I think right. he's about one season into his NBA career plus okay. one playoff outing. But, um, you know, like we're almost like projecting superstar expectations onto this kid. And he's totally. still like no other team that is, you know, 
competing for a title, I think, like, has a player that young and that prominent of a role. I mean, may, they're, they're probably, the, you know. The Warriors a little bit. I mean, I, whether you consider them competing for a title or not. But, and, and I say that because there was a great quote tonight. The, the Warriors lost a heartbreaker tonight to the Portland Trailblazers who continue to win despite all of my expectations. I don't know how they do it. I think they're not a good team, but here they are. But Golden State tonight, Steph Curry after the game, speaking about James Wiseman, he says it's a matter of continuing his confidence that he can provide huge value for us. Not to get caught up in the rookie power rankings, the talk about other guys in the top of the draft class. Everybody is in a different situation. We love having him. And I love that quote because I wonder how much Michael Porter – is finally accepting this and understanding it of like, Hey man, you are, you can develop to be just as great, if not greater of a player. It's just not going to look the same. You might look at those sophomore power rankings or whatever it is and say like, Oh man, they have so-and-so ahead of me, but it's like, that stuff doesn't matter. Nobody remembers that Michael Carter Williams was the number one on the rookie power rankings in 2013 (laughs) or whatever. Like I'm sure it felt great at the time. That's a great example. I'm sure it felt great at the time, but it just didn't matter. And, and I wonder, I wonder how that has to be very, common for rookies to be kind of looking at see where they stack up in other people's minds but i wonder how much of it for him has been like ignoring that well there there was a an exchange between you and matt on one of the locked on things where you were talking about something porter said and one of you i can't remember who said yeah that sounds a lot like michael malone <laughs> and like you, you'll catch little tidbits of porter's responses yeah. like night in and night out like that's something malone always says right. and like yeah, I, yeah. I caught porter saying that like Okay, he's definitely, you know, from what he's talking about, he's definitely parroting coach talk to a certain extent. And so it's kind of hard to like filter through that and understand like how much of this is he really internalizing and how much is he just aware that he should be saying it for the media. Um, But I think it's both. And I think he is learning, you know, um, I think we are seeing a reduction in, you know, I would say like in terms of ball handling and passing, like I think he has started minimizing some of the more blatant yeah. turnovers and stuff like, you know, like yeah. his learning curve is probably going to continue taking a while, but he's a sophomore. I mean, like, you know, going back to what I was saying before, like he's being elevated into this really important role on a team that has really high expectations and it's, in a sense, almost unfair to him, except he wants to do it. Like he welcomes that opportunity. So in that sense, you know, it's not unfair, but um, you, can, you can see from Malone's perspective why, you know, he might prefer to go with a Barton or Harris or, you know, players with more experience, but, um, you know, given the youth and learning curve that he's on, but like, if he delivers, like, you just got to get him the reps. You just got right, to play right. him and just let him grow through it. Cause if he really, ends up being the guy who he could be then look out we're playing the body language doctor here but i feel like Jokic and malone have both sort of um lightened up a little bit with him and maybe it's because he's earned their respect a little bit more and and they were purposefully or not purposefully just being a little bit tough with him but i do feel like it's eased a little bit like those relationships are (laughs) if 10 is you know, best buds hugging as you walk to the sideline. They're, they're like at like a four. I think they were at, at for a while there, they were at a one. Um, but I do feel like that aspect of it is moving in the right direction. And we even saw this this week with some of the quotes from Jamal Murray. We're having fun and it's important for us to have fun. Well, I feel like that the funness with Michael Porter is a big part of this. Yeah, I would totally agree. And I think that 
you know, he's putting in effort. Like, yeah, I, I recently wrote something for Forbes about his uh, quote that he said it was a blessing in disguise that he had his shooting slump because that kind of led to him focusing on other aspects of his game and becoming mm. a more complete player, as Malone described him. Um, and I, I think there's actually some real truth to that. Like, he had to put in more effort on defense, more effort on rebounding while he was in a shooting slump because if he wanted to stay on the court with coach Michael Malone, he had to, you know, make himself valuable in other ways. And I think the effort is actually there, you know, and I think that's how you get Jokic's respect first and foremost. Yeah. And Malone's um, for sure. And Murray's for that matter, I think too. So, uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm getting ready to write a piece on his defense. Like his individual defense has really improved. Mm-hmm. That, that's kind of my thesis of the piece is like, okay, when it comes to like, some aspects of team defense he's uh still got some learning to do but his you know man on defense and like his ability to just close out and some of those like kind of hustle plays is pretty on point these days and you know he's you know he is learning better how to not just be a guy who only bombs three pointers um right and i I think it's paying off you know and it's he is growing yeah for sure where do you if you play out the string here, what is what are the next? What does the back half of this season look like in a perfect world? The realistic but good progress for him. How does it go over the next forty games or whatever it is, thirty-five games? I just you know think he becomes more normalized. You know, like <laughs> the the beginning of the season was so awkward. You know, um, only those first four games really kind of trying to force the issue of working him and integrating him in and it just wasn't really happening organically then he misses that you know 10 games or whatever and uh then has to reintegrate after coming back but that's all different players because everyone's like injuries have all changed around so uh you know like I, I think like right now he's actually just finally getting his first chance of the season to kind of you know, Murray's playing well Jokic is playing well he's starting to play well too like things are just finally especially in the starting lineup, you know, finally starting to settle into like, okay, now we have a thing. Right. Right. That it's kind of feels like the first concrete, tangible thing that we've had this season that is formed. Lately you asked me early on in our conversation about the team's identity. I think it's just like in this last couple of weeks that they're kind of landing on. Mm, What is that identity? Like I almost dropped an F bomb, but <laughs> a, a high octane offense um, first yeah. and foremost, like just an offensive powerhouse, and uh, with good enough defense to, you know, keep the other team honest enough to outscore them. Um, but this, I mean, the potential of a Murray Jokic Porter offense with you know, I mean, throw any two other guys in the mix that right. can spread the floor and you know cut. And you're looking pretty good. Do you foresee a future where he is, you know, a true piece of the big three? And I guess a, for a piece that, as in this season where it's, you know, right now we're talking about Jokic is good every game. I mean, he's almost never bad. Jamal Murray is now on an 11 game streak of playing well. And it looks like, you know, maybe he will be there. Do you feel like Michael Porter will be a legitimate third guy there? Or do you think there'll be maybe like a super Barton or a super Monte or super Gary where every now and then he has a night where he's the best player on the court, but for the most part, he's the consistent third or fourth guy. How do you see that going for him? I think he has the potential to be that legit third guy for sure. Um, 
the the pace of his development i think will dictate a lot of this you know like right the inconsistency the you know awareness how quickly these things can get a little bit more smoothed out and you know then when it's come to the playoffs you know how well he can continue those things on that stage but um you know i I think there's going to be the opportunity for him to step into that third of a big three role come playoff time by the time we reach that point in the season and uh you know i think he has an opportunity to you know I think he'll start getting 30 minutes per game from here on out. That seems pretty clear now, I think. And, you know, that's what everybody has been waiting for. What about the power forward thing? I mean, he's been playing power forward lately, and it's been so good. I mean, do you feel like there's something to that, that he is a power forward and better at power forward? And if so, what happens when you bring back Millsap and Jermichael Green? That is a great question. Um, You know, and – Projecting to the end of the season, which you asked me about a second ago, like I think it's hard to do because I do think there may be a trade that comes, you know, um, like I don't want to be dismissive of any Nuggets player, you know, but there's so much overlap in skills right now. Like, um, let me ask you a question. This is something I wanted to ask you. Sure. Yesterday's game against Milwaukee. Replace PJ Dozier's minutes with Faku Campazo. Man, man. And do they win that game? They won by thirty, so it's hard. It's hard for me to say they wouldn't have won the game. Or, but look, I, do, do they win the second half of that game? I, I do think that the, that um, that was a game for Dozier, and I do wonder that Dozier brought brings something to the table that Campazo can't, or that might be a little redundant. Which is size. I, I talked about this on Lockdown last night. Denver played zone a lot yesterday. And I think one of the reasons the zone worked was because they were enormous by virtue of who they had available to them. I mean, I think they would have played Faku or, you know, anybody else, but they had Zeke Naji, Vlaku Chanchar. Zeke Naji was at the top of the zone for a while there. That's how big they were. And I do wonder if that specific thing worked out, but I think what yeah, you're getting, wait, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say like, Objectively speaking, I think we could probably say that Faku Campazo is a better player than PJ Dozier. If you look at his pedigree, you look at his career, his accomplishments, his, you know, veteran experience, just about any box you could check, like Faku's got got it over Dozier um, when it comes to, you know, who's on paper the better player. But it just so happens to be the case that Dozier fits, you know, needs that Denver is lacking I think Faku brings energy to the point guard position that I think you know Monte and Jamal don't quite do and his uh you know peskiness on defense is something but like how much did Denver need that versus how much they need like a wing with size you know like the, the latter is just a greater need for the team and you know I think I'm kind of working on a like zoomed out thesis on the Nuggets that is like a simple answer to the question, like what do the Denver Nuggets need to do? And answering that in just one, boiling it down to, because I think up to this point, the front office would say, don't skip steps. Be patient, don't skip steps. is kind of the guiding principle of their whole, you know, roster building over the past X seasons um, under the uh, Tim Connolly era. But I feel like now it should be like, right now build the roster that you intend to compete for a title with. Mm. That's what I would boil it down to. And 
are they competing for a title this season? I don't think so. Hmm. Um, they they would say differently, but sure. Just given the struggles early on, like it's hard to catch up from that. Um, I don't so, like to like, I don't like to give the definitive answer on that question until after the trade deadline, just because teams trade. Yeah. I, I don't anticipate it will for Denver, but it does feel like the final piece you have to see before you say okay. But I mean, like in 2022, if the Nuggets are in the championship, are both Will Barton and Gary Harris on that roster? Right. I think yeah. not. And so right. like, you just need to be a little, like, I don't want to look at any Nuggets player as disposable or like this guy should be traded or anything like that, including Millsap and Barton and Harris. But I think those three guys just kind of emerge as the three who a are least likely to be around in a couple years, you know, like when Jokic is really peaking, Murray is really peaking and B have some redundancy. Like Jermichael Green can do a lot of what Millsap does, hmm. you know, between DJ Dozier and Michael Porter Jr. They can do a lot of what Will Barton does, um, right. you know, like, so we're kind of like realigning the roster to, you know, have a better distribution of skills that don't like all stack up on, you know, overly concentrated in specific areas, which I think we're kind of seeing now. I like that comment, but I, I'm going to amend it in segment three because I feel like the picture is only now becoming clear with this team and even still not quite yet, but I think it's very soon that it'll become clear and we'll talk about that. First, I want to take our, our last break here though and tell everybody about Strava Craft Coffee. You guys know this, another Colorado company, all of our companies, call almost all of them, Colorado companies, Strava Craft Coffee, brewing CBD infused coffee right here in Colorado. And they have a great deal going off, uh, going on right now. 25% off for DNVR listeners, not 20, 25 using the promo code DNVR25 at checkout, or you could sign up for their subscription service, have it delivered straight to your door every single day and save 20% on all orders. Um, and it's a great deal. You never have to worry about it. It gets delivered however much you want per month. They'll send it, to, they'll send it right to you. CBD infused, it helps with uh, chronic headaches, joint pains, IBS, so much more. Uh, no coffee jitters like you usually get if you go to like Starbucks or whatever and get the six shot. Uh, a couple extra shots in there or whatever, and you're shaking. This one, all uh, you know, the CBD does a nice job of mellowing that out. So check them out. You can also try it if you come into the C, uh, the DNVR bar and you want to check it out. We have March Madness coming up here in about a week and a half. Uh, there'll be some early games then. We'll be open early. Maybe you try it out there. You'll fall in love. Uh, you'll like it. Also, want to tell you about DraftKings. UFC 259 is this weekend, and be sure uh, it's action packed. Three title fights taking place on one night. And DraftKings Sportsbook has this crazy promo going on. Pick either main event fighter to land a single punch during this weekend's UFC 259 bout. And DraftKings Sportsbook will give you 100 to 1 odds. Just bet $1 on either fighter to land a punch. And if it happens, you'll cash $100. Don't like MMA? No problem. They got great deals going on right now for basketball, hockey, and everything else. DraftKings is safe, secure, reliable. So you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code DNVR when you sign up. Turn $1 into $100 this weekend on UFC 259. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Here in the final segment of the DNVR Nuggets podcast, and I'm with Joel Rush, Forbes.com, and covering the Nuggets longer than just about anybody. Maybe Dempsey has you beat. I think Dempsey's been doing this longer than you. Is he the I only one? So. Um, 
Well, I'm not sure when Matt showed up in Colorado. Uh, but yeah. It was pretty a long time ago. <laughs> it's hard. Oh, Jeff. Jeff. Yeah, Jeff Morton. Jeff's, Jeff's got me beat for sure because he was uh, doing the Colorado Sports Guys thing. I think that was already up and running by the time I had started my first vlog. Um, I'm pretty sure. That's too cool, man. The OGs. The OGs. Um, yeah, I, I was actually looking through my old blog, and I think the first thing that I wrote like as a blog post was uh, – kind of saying that it was okay for them to have traded Marcus Camby. <laughs> so, like, that, that kind of dates That's me really then. bad. So that's 2008 or nine. That's, no, it's 2008. That they yeah, something him. like that. That's wild, man. Over yeah. a decade ago. It really it's does funny. I, I posted I posted a thing on Twitter just the other day. Like, uh, it's something like more than 1.8 steals per 100 possessions and more than one steal per game and more than one three-pointer per game. And the player is 5'11 or shorter. And it's Faku Campazzo, Nate Robinson, uh, Ty Lawson, and uh, Isaiah Thomas are the first four guys on the list. All nuggets. It's so funny because like so many different front office regimes, but somehow they keep coming back to these like diminutive point guards. Like it's just like Denver's thing somehow. Who were your favorites, like over those over these eras, spanning back to when you started covering the team? I mean, starting from like 2003, I'll just start from the beginning of the Mellow area, yeah. Mellow era, not area. But um, you know, I I was always a little bit hot and cold on Mellow because I just uh, you know kind of for George Carl reasons, just like I felt like he could have been accomplishing more, but. Yeah. Um, I really liked Andre Miller um, back in those, like, Me too, his man. first with Denver. Um, and uh, Chauncey Billups. Um, yeah. When, when, Chauncey, when Denver got Chauncey, like, that made me so happy. Um, I only know one person on earth AI, who but... doesn't like Chauncey. It's Drew Creaseman of at DNVR. He's the only person I've ever met in my life that has ever not loved Chauncey Billups. Wow. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have any comprehension of that whatsoever. <laughs> like... Yeah, that's well. Uh, I had George know, Carl today. We he's on the Keeping It One Thousand podcast, which I've been doing with him. It's a separate podcast feed. I highly, if you're listening to this one, I promise you're going to like that one. But I asked him the big question today about Jokic or Mello, and we we actually spent a good ten minutes talking about Mello and his career, why he left, and 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 all that stuff. And it was a really for people that really enjoyed that era. It's a it's a good throwback. I will definitely give that a listen. But Jokic in my book has almost already surpassed Mello. Um, What's the almost here? I mean, he's almost played as many years as I think Mello was here for what, eight seasons? Jokic is six. I mean, it's not even that. Yeah, that's a good point. He's actually starting to reach the same number of years now, isn't he? Wow. That's pretty wild. Jokic is so fun because you start to look at some of the, I mean, I think he's now third all time in box plus minus or in, in nuggets history wind shares, which is wind shares is accumulative. You know, like this is, yeah, yeah. you've got, you've got guys that have played for the nuggets for 10 years that Alex English. I think the guys ahead of him are Dan Issel and Alex English. I think he just passed uh, David Thompson, which is wild because that is amazing. It's only been six years, but. And that's David Thompson. (laughs) Yeah. That's David Thompson. Like arguably one of the, Number one, number two, number three, top nuggets ever. Like I, I David Thompson's the forgotten nugget. I and I yeah, you know, and I, I have to admit, not knowing too much. Like yeah. Jeff, I, I would turn to Jeff as the authority. There, um, with Jeff, and I've talked to Jeff about this. Like the, they're just the ABA. First of all, like the the real early days of the NBA, 
the ABA NBA merger, they just haven't done a great job of sharing the non stories that we all heard. I mean, we all hear Dr. J, we all hear magic and bird. And, and in some ways, all of the stories are told as if every other person was just a footnote in their story. Like the greater story of the NBA is the story <laughs> of magic bird and then Jordan and like, and David Thompson's one of those ones that I, I, I hate has kind of gotten cut out of the folklore of NBA because well, the stories you hear about him are absolutely absurd and his athleticism and how he sort of evolved the game. So maybe one day I'll have to do a really nice, like one off season, I'll have to do a big David Thompson, like week long special or deep dive or something on him. That would be cool. Yeah. It'd be really cool. I met him a, a couple times and he was oh, nice really? every, nice. every single time, um, which is, which is awesome. Um, so you were started to talk about trades <clears throat> and I think, you know, the trade deadline is going to be, I think it's still, it's just a hair early. People are starting to publish their trade deadline primers and stuff, but I, I still feel like it's a little bit early to get too into the specifics of it. But when you were talking about our Will Barton and Paul Millsap, a part of your team, I think the answer, you know, when you go to win a championship, I think the answer to that is like probably clearly no, but what the team needs, I think, evolves with, with whether or not Michael Porter fits the, his perfect that way or whether he doesn't. Because a team around Murray, Michael Porter, and Jokic, I feel like the two guys you put in between those guys are very specific. If it's Murray and Jokic, there's a little bit more flexibility because then you need a couple more things. And I feel like that's the thing that I still don't have an answer to. I don't know if the Nuggets front office feels they need to make a decision on that before this trade deadline. It might be more of a summer thing. But – you know, that that's the thing that I think Denver's waiting on. Is Michael Porter actually part of the big three? And I don't know if that's answered yet. No, I don't think it's answered yet. Um, but I think things are moving in that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, I, and I would not advocate for making any trades at all if they were not going to improve the team, both in the short and long term. I mean, right, um, right. I would not want to jettison Barton just to get him off the roster, that would be ridiculous. Um, Cause you know, as he's proved in the last couple of games, he still has value to bring to the team. Um, yeah. And, you know, just for personal reasons as well, like you want to treat a guy right. Um, but, you know, if they could make, even if it didn't like give the team a huge boost in terms of their playoff chances this year, like the roster just needs some clarification. I think, you know, yeah. like what's happening at power forward. Now it's starting to appear that Porter is, you know, perhaps best and most natural at port power forward. Right. Now, I think Jamichael Green and Porter can coexist, but I think it's harder to make Jamichael Green and Paul Millsap and Porter all coexist Yeah, that and all get meaningful not. minutes, you yeah, know, I like, so that. I think there's just, again, it's a redundancy of, you know, overlapping in the depth chart on one position or one skill set that, um, you know, if some of those things could get clarified by, you know, shifting things around on the roster just a little bit, whether or not, you know, I don't think they're getting Bradley Beal. I don't think they're getting Tobias Harris. Um, or, I don't you know, think, not, I don't, I'm sorry, I don't, not Tobias Harris. Z- Zach Levine or any of those big names. I don't think any of those guys are coming to Denver. I don't think Bradley Beal's coming to Denver. I don't think he's getting traded this time. I'm pretty I don't think he's getting traded at the deadline, but I don't think he's coming to Denver either. Um, no. And I, I don't think Denver necessarily needs that. I know, agree. I mean, like, at least until the Porter question is answered, they yeah. don't need to take a big swing on that because Porter could be the bigger swing. And that's the safer bet because they already have him. 
Yeah. Um, oh, so it, like they don't need Porter to give up work, any assets to acquire him. Porter so. working out is the best bet because one, not just because of his ceiling or whatever, but also just because Denver already has him and it's easier to keep your own yeah. guys and do this than it is to make trades and move all the pieces around. One of the things that's interesting to me is if Michael Porter is your guy, I think he's a four with Denver, but he's a four that has certain flaws to him and that your three then has to, you know, sort of make up for. And I think it's the same as if you have Jamal Murray, Michael Porter and Jokic, I said earlier, you know better what you have to build around because it's more narrow the pieces around. Well, they have to both be defensive players. The other two players have to be like very good defensive players. They probably have to have some athleticism and length and they have to be almost sounds like PJ Dozier. Well, that's interesting you say that because I, like, I could but, see him being that three. I, I could as well. Or even perhaps the two, to be honest with you, because he has yeah. some point guardy things to him. And um, and he's got the length, which, I, again, I'm, I'm such a believer in the sort of accumulative length and, and, and speed that there's like it starts to compound the more guys you have that move quickly. It, it was really obvious in that Milwaukee game. Like I hadn't seen that many long Nuggets arms since the bubble. Like just flailing, you know, yeah. just like yeah, making chaos, making passes hard, just like blocking people's views of the, you know, angles totally. on the, like just, it's disruptive, you know, just having link disrupts what offenses try to do. And uh, I totally agree with you there. And I'm curious to see if it continues in Indiana, you know, there's sometimes a benefit to being shorthanded because other teams don't really have a scout on you. And I'm sure Milwaukee was not prepared for the Chanchar Zeke Jokic zone. Like that was not in the, that was not in the walkthrough. So, but there is diminishing returns because over time teams start to say, okay, here's what they're doing. Here's what this guy can't do or whatever. And, and so I'm kind of curious if to see if they can kind of run through the tape with this last game with that same unit, you know, I'm a, but here's another question I have. Let's say the next month goes swimmingly and, and Michael Porter is like, okay, we feel almost certain that he is our guy and, and this or that. I do wonder if you start to make the move because then your money starts to get tight. And I do wonder if you make the move that says, Hey, let's go all in now because we know the value of continuity. Let's go all in now. Let's secure our four or five guys that are the core of this team you know, Murray and Jokic are your stars. Michael Porter's your up and coming third star. Let's put the two role players in place so that whatever happens this year, we have those guys still in place. And we start, we start the three-year window with, with this group. And the sooner you can answer that question, the better. You just don't want to answer it too soon and then get the wrong answer. And I think that's one of the tricks for Denver here. But I think they just need to commit to Michael Porter because mm. I mean, for, for one thing, I'm going to throw a name out and by, no means am I comparing him to Michael Porter, but um, Andrew Wiggins. Mm. If you look at what has happened over his career, like he, I mean, not, not on the basketball court, just in terms of his contract and moving his contract. Like I think the Nuggets could extend Michael Porter and pretty safely be assured that they would be able to trade him if things didn't work out as ideally right. as that. Cause like some team is going to gamble on that. Right, right. Like just the raw talent there is just too compelling to look over or to pass over. I'm sorry. Um, right. So, you know, like I, I feel like committing to him early, like they did with Murray, you know, they could have waited right. one more year on Murray, but like that helps instill confidence. That helps let the guy know, like, okay, we value you. We want you to be here. Um, there's no ambiguity about that. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But I think you have a better, I mean, if you don't commit to Michael Porter, then what is the upgrade over him? Right. 
because that's what you're counting on at that point. Right. And I don't think, I don't think you have a better path to that guy than through Porter himself. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right, like right. that—that's your most viable path to getting that guy is the guy you already have. So just roll, you know, ride with him, and uh, you know, maybe it pays off, maybe it doesn't, but you can't fault the front office for taking that gamble. Um, yeah, and you know, like. All is not lost if he doesn't work out because you'll still have Murray and Jokic and they will be able to power through right. a roster change at that point and they will, you know, lock down the foundation there that will keep the team stable. So uh, I don't right. think, you know, that's going to be like a backbreaking eventuality for the franchise if it didn't turn out. You know, who, are the, who are the players that you think would fit ideally around those three? What do they look like? Like just kind of what, are, what type of player are they? Well, I think you talked about the size and the defensive aspect and the toughness. Like, uh, I, I think Jermichael Green and PJ Dozier are the right kind of guys. Um, mm. You know, like, you know, I want I want some uh, kind of Miami guys. <laughs> you know, for sure, lack yeah. of a better term. Like, I, I think that's kind of who you need to pack around Jokic. Um, like. I'm not sure if, uh, you know, the, the other thing would be just shooting. Um, like, yeah, I heard it mentioned on a podcast that Wayne Ellington might be, you know, uh, I've been preparing like, people for like Wayne, the, the people keep thinking like, oh, what about Beal or this or that? And I go, you guys need to prepare yourself for Daniel house or Wayne Ellington or like some of yeah. these like lesser guys, you know, but that, that, that might be the superior move for Denver at this point anyways, because right. you don't want to give up the farm unless you're really, you know, if you're if you're getting a James Harden, right, which right, I don't right. want Denver to do, but you know, like uh, uh, that caliber of player, who's what? What are you going to upgrade Denver with that's going to make it better than Jokic is making Denver? <laughs> you know, like you're going to need like a superstar player almost to do that. So, like, I think good quality role players is really what this team needs more of, but with more help. Right. more reliability, more consistency. Like I, I think a player who was 75% the player of Gary Harris is who had the same skills, but just not quite as good, but was available every game would right, be a more right. valuable player for the nuggets right now than Gary Harris happens to be simply because of his injuries through no fault of his own, but Caldwell Pope availability sort of that player. Like he's, I think Gary Harris in 2017 was better than Caldwell Pope is now, but you know, yeah, he was a guy that absolutely. can knock down threes and guard people. And that's pretty much what you need. And uh, you know, he does that reliably. I, I disagree with you just on the, the Jamichael green aspect of this um, as great as he is. I, I think Porter's a four. And I think that you have to end up having a, a three that, I mean, Porter's a three and a half. And I think you need another three and a half. But oh, it, I'm uh, sorry, opposite. but I, I actually didn't mean Jamichael green as a starter though. Um, Oh, oh! Okay, I meant that you know, like as a backup uh, power forward slash center. That, um, right. you know, but just in that, you know, in the four or five column of the depth chart, like yeah. there's I not think, quite enough room for Jokic and Millsap and Green and Porter. You know, it's it's painful them. to say because I think Jeremy Grant was a pretty near like ideal sort of. He's yeah. also a three and a half. Like he does some things as a three. That OG one's never going to stop stinging. OG Ananobi is another one that stings a little bit, but I think he yeah. would maybe even be better than Jeremy Grant as that three and a half where, you know, 
he, he fits. Um, so that's tough, but you know, th- there are those types of guys out there and you can also develop those types of guys. Like OG Ananobi went late, I think 22 or 23. Um, you know, Jeremy Grant went late. You can develop those guys. And Tim Conley has been so good at identifying that specific type where you could say, Hey, this guy has the exact type skill set we need to plug in here. Let's find him. Nudging, by the way, Z and Zeke Naji, absolutely. I mean, he, I, I, we, I need to see more of him, but you're absolutely right that he looks like a guy that can guard the perimeter. He's got size. He knows his role very, very well. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm very optimistic about what he's going to become. Yeah. Like, he and just, uh, he, I, you don't see rookies like, I mean, both he and RJ, like, just pretty smoothly stepped into some, you know, meaningful NBA minutes as rookies and, you know, as yeah. not, top draft picks um those guys were both a little more nba ready than i was preparing for them to be so uh that's encouraging i think rj hampton's another interesting one because he's and he's another one that i could see yeah alongside the other guys uh, i think he, he might take longer um in part because yeah. he's more dynamic like the more dynamic players just take longer um zeke naji i don't think is that dynamic he's a good shooter he's a good defender like okay that's good you're ready to go i don't know that you need to add a whole lot of dynamic offense to your game to be if to be what denver needs but the guy and i'm gonna everybody's gonna roll your eyes you might even roll your eyes here but the guy that i i just keep i've come back to i haven't even brought him up for months maybe maybe almost upwards of a year but i look at lonzo ball and i just think i wonder if denver can afford him alongside the big three to me he's another one that he's a one and a half but opposite of what of the way jamal's a one and a half they're like a yin and yang and I, if, if lonzo ball and jamal murray play alongside each other who's the point guard and who's the shooting guard it doesn't matter i mean it's the same way with Jokic is this the point center or whatever like this, at a certain point you're just you covered all bases and you did it in a non-traditional way but you still have it and i think jamal murray has the ball in his hands and runs the first pick and roll and does all that stuff but eventually you get to a point where the ball just moves and you have your base. I think end of games, the ball's in Jamal Murray's hand, just like it is now. I don't think anything changes. Would you not be concerned about Lonzo's spreading the floor? I mean, he's shooting 40% from three and most of those are catch and shoot. I just think to me, he's as reliable as Will Barton is um, as a three point shooter. That's fair. Whereas I don't want him taking a ton. I want him taking the right ones and he'll take all the right ones. And I think he'll be good enough, but I guess kind of a Millsap style three point shooter, huh? Like just yeah, only I don't opportunistic. Think... And then I think if you have Michael Porter, Murray, and Jokic, your court is already spread enough. Like you don't need those guys to add extra spacing. You just need them to capitalize on the spacing, um, which is different from what Denver's had in the past with like you know Tory Craig or, or even Jeremy Grant or whatever guys that could knock down the three. But Michael Porter adds an extra layer of spacing that now you just need guys that are that are okay. So. I, I'm curious if Denver will revisit that because you talked about redundancy and they just have so many guys that maybe you lose two of those guards or something, or maybe you lose to Michael Green, but that clears up now Millsap's just your backup power forward and you have more clarity there, but you add a piece that can be part of that. If you if, if Denver went forward with those four guys, I would feel pretty good about it because everything else just needs to be rookies, veterans, trade you know exceptions, mid-level exception guys, and I think that's yeah. a good piece, but... I don't know. I'm going to bang that drum here in the coming weeks, I think, and everyone's going to get mad at me for it, but whatever. Uh, Anything else before we get out of here um, about the Nuggets that you just find interesting? That I find interesting. Um, That we didn't touch uh, on? I'll ask you. uh, How about I ask you one more question? Do you think Bull Bull is a real NBA player? Um, No. I'm losing hope in that. I I had hope coming into the season. Um, We haven't seen enough of him to really identify, but – 
you know, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I have, I, he looks like he has just so many steps to take before he's a, he's an NBA player. That's kind of how I would put it. Yeah. I feel like every time he's on the court, just like, it's almost incomprehensible, just his physicality and the way he moves. Like it's really just hard to see him fitting in somehow, like right in a natural way into an offense or defense. Cause it's, just kind of awkward, you know. Um, I, I I hope the best for him, and I hope you know he does turn into a real NBA player. But like, you know, and the skills are clearly there. Um, it's exciting to think of what, you know, that on paper looks really tantalizing. But um, in practice, I'm starting to like you grow concerned. It's so much of the more I'm around this stuff, the more I realize how much it's all these guys are talented in some capacity. It's who gets it the quickest, who is willing to, to accept some of the things about them. Like, I mean, every player thinks they're a superstar and the ones that sort of accept where they belong and, and see that right early on and start working towards the right things early on. And, and he's one that I just wonder about that. Like, you know, he expected to be a star. He thought he was going in the top 10 and he didn't, and he's here. And I just wonder how much of it is like, Hey, can you mold yourself into be a stretch big that does these things well or are you still holding out hope for something else and and i don't know like i I really just don't know the answer to that i do think he's a little bit of a victim of the pandemic a little bit of a victim of going to a place without a g league team because if in a more normal world he probably has 60 g league games under his belt by now and and that would be great for him instead probably a lot of three-on-three workouts that just have a ceiling to him so but i don't know we'll have to we'll have to wait and see on that but We'll get out of here, Joel. I appreciate you taking the time here, man. It was really good talking to you. And like I said, I mean this sincerely, man. Um, It's funny how many people we know online. And it really was. I was sitting there last night. I had brought such a big smile to my face today. I sat there and just was like, how great is this that Joel gets to be (laughs) in the circle? Because all of us in media, people don't know this. Back in the old days, back before the pandemic, way back when, you know, we all got to hang out at Pepsi Center. And it really was some of the, or yeah, it was Pepsi Center at the time. And it was some of the greatest times because, you know, you really get to know these people. And I feel like I know you. And it's great yeah. that you get to come into the circle now and, and kind of see behind the, this stuff with us because you've earned it. You've been doing this, like I said, diligently for so many years. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. But, I, you know, I actually do hope not only for my own selfish reasons, although I hope that, too, but um, that the NBA considers continuing the Zoom aspect of media availabilities, even after things return to the arenas, because, you got guys calling in from Argentina. You got guys calling yeah. in from Serbia, like the local countries, fans, like right. and media representatives. Like that is great for the NBA. I think to have, you know, Serbian language <laughs> reporters asking Jokic questions, you know, Argentinian reporters asking Baku questions in Spanish. Like that's great for expanding the global aspect of the game. So I hope that, you know, they don't only automatically like end the Zoom availabilities just because they return to the arenas because I think it's a good thing for you know globalizing the NBA in general. It'll be interesting to see how they handle. There's so many things with media and just the world is evolving so quickly and so many things are in some ways antiquated and and, and it's it's going to be interesting to see how the NBA evolves along with it, how the Nuggets evolve around with it. But, um, you know, hopefully they evolve around with it during the championship era and uh, you'll fly in from Tokyo for the, or, or in from Japan for the uh, parade. Come have a drink. I definitely would. <laughs> you, you know, if I, uh, I, I don't know when I can get vaccinated, and until I do, I won't be flying internationally. But if I can make it to Colorado this summer and Denver, 
specifically, then I will definitely drop by your guys' bar because I've been wanting to check it out. Can't wait, man. Can't wait. But I'll go have a coffee. <laughs> <laughs> guys, follow Joel, follow his work, uh, and uh, everybody else. We'll be back again tomorrow with a post-game lounge. We'll see you all then. Before we get out of here, I want to tell you about Hassle Cattle Company. You guys know them out of Texas, family-owned company, family-owned farm. Hassle Cattle Company, that means hassle-free beef. Wagyu, marbled, well-marbled, as D-Line likes to say. Delicious stuff, you order it straight to your door, and um, you know they've got all these little options for you. You can put steaks, hamburgers, sausages, beef jerky, salsa even. You can mix and match, and then they'll ship it straight to your door. And this is premium stuff. They call it blue-collar Wagyu because it's affordable. And right now, if you go to HassleCattleCompany.com, H-A-S-S-E-L-L, CattleCompany.com, and use promo code DNDR10, you get 10% off. A lot of people have been doing this, guys, and we keep getting great uh, feedback on it. Great burgers, great steaks, just great beef in general. Hassle Cattle Company. Check them out.